Good morning, Christchurch. Uh, if you stream any shows, then you're familiar how, with how most shows begin with a recap of the last episode. You know what I'm talking about? They'll show like, you know, 20, 30 seconds uh, of, and even go back beyond the last uh, episode. But there's a little button at the bottom right that if you're just ready to get on with it, you can click on it. What does it say? Skip recap. Yeah. And I'm usually a let's get on with it skip recap guy. This morning's sermon, or you might think of it as an episode in our summer series, is a vital kind of hinge moment in the whole summer of what we're doing, the, in the storyline that we're tracking through the summer. So I'm going to give a recap today. I'm going to look back over the past few weeks and catch us up to this moment here. So one big theme, the one big theme of the Bible is the renewal of the whole cosmos, everything everywhere, filled with the goodness of God all at once. That's the story of the scriptures. The whole Bible points to that vision of the future and shows how in creation it was all good, and then there's everything that we know that happened after creation and that we live right now, but it looks towards this end that is the renewal of the whole cosmos. And that is the story of the scripture. So we're in a summer series right now where we're looking at how Christianity makes sense of this world that we live in, makes sense of ourselves, makes sense of our lives. We looked at, we started off at how humanity, everybody, all humans, just kind of hear an echo of a voice. And we're taking that language from the book that's kind of giving the outline for our summer, for our summer series called Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. And he talks about these four echoes of a voice. So we, we talked about each of those. And those echoes of a voice point to something, someone that is speaking, and we believe that the voice belongs to God. We looked at how the best explanation for our mixed experiences here on earth is that heaven and earth are overlapping and interlocking. We do get a taste of goodness and beauty and justice and the nearness of God, the sense of transcendence of all. Like we get these experiences and we have a taste of it, and we know that this overlapping, kind of interlocking heaven and earth reality means that we can reject a couple of other ways of thinking about the world, and that one is that heaven and earth are conflated, and they're just the same thing, kind of a, a pantheism view of heaven and earth. We also know that it means there's not a completely separate view of heaven and earth, Kind of like that deist view that we talked about, that God is just remote and distant, has nothing to do. Heaven has nothing to do with earth. They're completely separate, but that they interact with each other. And that makes sense of our life here on earth. We looked at how God is going about renewing the whole cosmos, not by waving a wand, but by working with his creation and with us in relationship. He enters into relationship with particular people who live in particular places and enlist these people to partner with him in the renewal of all things. We looked at how he started with Abraham. Last week, Father Matt preached on Israel. And so we've talked about these echoes of a voice and then God, heaven and earth, Israel, and this week we get to Jesus. Last week, Israel, let me recap a little bit there. Matt told us about how God started with this one individual, Abraham. And through Abraham, he told Abraham, I 
will make of you a people, and that people are going to be, through them, a blessing to all nations. And so this is how he's going to go about his work of renewing all things. So today we look at Jesus and how he fulfills the story of Israel, all the promises of God, everything that Israel hoped for, fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the key to the many, and we're talking Easter service. Father Matt preached a great sermon on the evidence for the resurrection from a historical perspective that helps us to place our trust in just at that level. We could look at Jesus through his teachings and I could just do a, summer, a summary today of the teachings of Jesus. We could look at his miracles. We could look at his parables. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how Jesus enters into the story of Israel. And having last week looked at Israel and its story, how God works through his people there, how Jesus then is the fulfillment of that story and the next chapter. How he enters it as a human being, this world, this story. And then where he takes the story. In his book, Simply Christian, Wright talks about these four themes that swirl around Israel. And swirl around the whole Old Testament. So you just go anywhere in the Old Testament and any passage pretty much, you're going to hit upon one of these four themes because they're constantly swirling around in the story. All Israel's hopes, hopes swirl around these four things. King, temple, Torah and the new creation. So we're going to take these four, and what I want to do today is see how Jesus, who is Jesus, how, how is Jesus this hinge point that takes the story somewhere new after having taken a dive into the story of Israel last week. So let's begin with king. We'll take them one at a time. First of all, Israel's waiting for a king who will come and set everything right. Longing for a king who is going to be the true, the true king, the anointed king, the king that's full of the Spirit. Psalm 72 captures this hope of Israel. It says this, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. This king... This true, anointed, full of the Spirit King is going to establish this kind of righteousness and justice. Long-awaited King will answer that human cry for justice. Jesus fulfills the promise. He's the long-awaited King. But here's the twist. Not in the way that Israel expected. He is the King that they've been hoping for, but not in the way that they had expected. He didn't simply come as the king of Israel, which is what they thought, who would make them great among all the nations. He didn't simply come as the king of Israel, but as the king of kings, the king of all kings, the king of the whole cosmos. Paul picks this up in his letter to the church in Colossae. He says this, the son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, 
the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. Beautiful passage that speaks of this. This Jesus who is not only comes as the king of Israel, but the king of kings, and in fact, the king of the cosmos. I'm going to use a bit of imagery throughout this sermon because there's so many ways of, of imagining, of, of seeing Jesus through different people's eyes, through different centuries, from around the world. This is an icon that shows Jesus as the cosmic king. You can see the four corners of the world. You can see that blue background that kind of hints at galaxies, the sky, cosmos. This is the cosmic king. There's another way that Jesus fulfills this promise of a king. That's not in the way that Israel expected either. He did not rule by the power of might, which is what was expected. Despite his supremacy in all things, but despite the fact that he is the king of the cosmos, he did not rule by the power of might, but by the power of sacrificial love and by being a servant of all. So the prophet Isaiah points to this aspect of Jesus' ministry in one of his oracles called the suffering servant. This was part of our reading today. It's our first reading today. And here is what Isaiah says. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, if you look at this image, this is one that you might recognize, at least the artist, uh, particularly because his most famous one called The Scream uh, is one that people have seen probably before. This is Edvard Munch, and it's entitled Golgotha. And you can see in the people how as Jesus becomes disfigured upon the cross, there's even this kind of disfiguring aspect to the people themselves. Our pain and suffering and wounds are healed in Jesus. That's what Isaiah says. Our sins are forgiven in Jesus because of the cross. So this king is not only the king of Israel, but the king of kings and the whole cosmos. And this king rules through sacrificial love. And this king heals our wounds and forgives us of our sins. There's another way that Jesus fulfills the promise of a king. And this other way that he is a king is also subverting the expectations of Israel. The kingdom that this king establishes is going to be an upside-down kind of kingdom. Turns the expectations of all the religious leaders upside down. In fact, at his very birth, uh, before his birth, at his conception, his mother Mary breaks out into this song, and, and she has this sense of, of what's coming and what God is about. And here is what her song says. She says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. Now, this painting right here, you see the kind of overt 
grandeur of Caesar and the Roman Empire, everything about that scene, and, and that's Pilate who's seated there. And it's contrasted with the hidden power of the prisoner. Now, the eye goes towards the light, the figure in light at the center, and that's Jesus. It's too small, perhaps, to see, but his, his hands, there's a rope that binds his hands, and he's clearly uh, in a simple white robe, and his hands are bound as a prisoner. This is where Jesus says to Pilate that Rome and Pilate would have no power except that it be granted from above. But here he has, is as a prisoner. This is the upside-down kingdom. According to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus began his ministry. He started it off by declaring that he is here to fulfill these words by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is an image by a painter named Jose Clemente Orozco. It's called Jesus the Liberator. And he has an axe. And, and at first glance, you might think, well, that kind of is not what Jesus is about, violence and axe. But then you look a little more closely and you see the cross. And what he used the axe for was to chop down the cross. He cuts down the cross, which was the empire's instrument of oppression. It was not just an instrument of death. That could be done in a, uh, a quick and more painless way. It was also an instrument of deep, profound, prolonged suffering up on a hill that everybody would see and be intimidated by the empire that occupied. And Jesus here chops down this instrument of oppression, but it also, of course, symbolizes an instrument of death. And in this chopping down of the cross, he says, death does not have the victory. This instrument of oppression, this instrument of death, does not have the victory. He has come to set people free, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim good news to the poor, and to forgive sins. All right, the next one. That's king. Let's go to temple. The tabernacle and the temple were the meeting place. We've talked about this already in the past few weeks. That's the meeting place. That's where God dwelt among his people. The temple was where heaven and earth came together right there at the temple. So you want to be near God, then you want to be near where heaven and earth meet. So you go to the temple and you can be in the nearness of God and the presence of God there at the temple. One of the tasks of the true king that Israel was hoping for, looking for, is that that king would reestablish the temple as the meeting place between heaven and earth. Israel's waiting for the reestablishment of the temple so they can come near to the presence of God again. Now, this deep longing for connection with God, this, this spirituality that we talked about is one of those echoes of a voice for knowing the nearness of God. This hope will be fulfilled in Jesus. He fulfills the promise, but again, guess what? Not in the way that was expected. <laughs> 
Jesus himself, instead of, instead of building the temple, Jesus himself became the temple. God became the temple in the person of Jesus, in human body. Jesus was the place where heaven and earth met. And so he says, if you want to be near to God, if you want to know God, then follow me. Come and see. One of the names given to Jesus, in fact, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The image that you'll see on the next one, there's a couple of them, and um, you see Caravaggio at the bottom, and that's the road to Emmaus and those disciples that he walked with, and then he sits down and he has a meal, and, and that story just points that they didn't even know it was Jesus until they sat down for a meal. They're walking along with this guy. That's how, that's how everyday accessible Jesus was, that they would walk this entire path and, and talk to him like a normal person. Up above, there's a contrast of what is kind of like a stylized European Jesus that you've probably seen images of here or there. But on the right is, is a computer-generated kind of amalgamation and best guess at what Jesus might have looked like. So on the right, you just see a kind of everyday guy, every guy. And this is part of what it means that Jesus fulfills all Israel's hopes in temple is that Jesus would come near and be accessible and human as one of us. The dwelling place of God becomes flesh and blood, human, who love to be around children, who love to to hang out with people. He ate and drank with notorious sinners and others that all is this. If you really know me, you'll know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because you've seen me, Jesus says. So Jesus is everything that king and everything that temple symbolized for Israel. He fulfills it all. He's also everything that the Torah meant to Israel. So let's look at that next. The Torah is also known as the law. It was given to Israel as the way of life, the way to walk in. Once Israel had been delivered from slavery in Egypt, once God had shown his mercy and his power and salvation, he had delivered them out of Egypt. Then he says, all right, now here's the way to walk, the good way that will keep you connected to each other and to me in the best possible way, a way that honors community and honors God. It was not meant to earn God's favor. He had already shown his favor by delivering them out of Egypt. But he's saying, here, now walk in this way for the goodness of life, and it's a response of gratitude for what God has done and trust. So these instructions on how to live as a people, as the family of God, were an answer to the cry that echoes in every heart. One of the echoes we've been talking about, this, this longing of the heart for relationship, for community, true relationship with God and each other. Jesus proclaimed and embodied the Torah. He proclaimed and embodied this law. He lived this way, this good way, in which there's love of God and love of neighbor expressed. Even as a 12-year-old boy, let's go to the next scene. This is a, a painting of Jesus in the temple. 12 years old, he was found in the temple. He was listening to and giving answers to the teachers of the law. 
And they were amazed at the answers he gave and his understanding of the law. Jesus later would summarize the law in his teaching very simply by saying, love God and love others, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he went on to define neighbor as basically everybody you come across. The Gospel of John tells us that the Word became flesh. And this is also language. That word, word, is logos. And so there's a lot of overlap here between law and Torah and the logos of God, the Word that became flesh, the embodiment of this life-giving way of being in the world. Jesus embodied the Torah. So you want to learn the teaching, if you want to learn the teaching of the Torah of God's good ways for humans to love Him and each other, look at Jesus. He's the wisdom of God personified. All right, the next theme, fourth theme that was central to Israel's hopes, new creation. All things are reconciled and made whole. This is the, that we've talked about this the trajectory of the whole Bible is towards this renewal of the whole cosmos. All things reconciled and made whole. The Bible's language for that is the new creation. Sometimes it's called the new heavens and the new earth. This picture, let's go to the next slide, is um, this image is uh, a piece by a woman named Monica Liu, and it's called Still the Tempest. Sometimes that still the tempest translated calm the calming of the storm. And it shows Jesus here at the helm, here at the boat, calming the seas. This is that picture where he's bringing peace to the chaos of this world. This is the new heavens and the new earth, new, the new creation. It's, it's an image not only of that biblical story, but this Jesus who can speak to all creation, who spoke it into existence and can speak it into calmness and stillness and bring about the, pre, the, the peace of the renewed cosmos. And as he does that, whoever's with him, the people in the boat, can then look to him as their skipper and draw peace from him. Every, everyone is safe in his boat, safe in his kingdom. The new creation is the restoration of the way things ought to be. When, as Isaiah says, the wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. This is perhaps, again, the key theme of the whole Bible. Everything points ultimately to the renewal of the heavens and the earth, the whole cosmos. And this is the beautiful and peaceable kingdom toward which we're headed. The beloved community living together as God intended. Everything reconciled. Heaven and earth are reconciled. God and humanity are reconciled. Humans with each other are reconciled. Humans and all of creation are all reconciled. Our reading, our second reading today was from 2 Corinthians where it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So in Christ, we are already living 
in that new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. That is the message we proclaim as a ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us, it says, this message of reconciliation. Now let me switch gears a minute. We've been looking at Jesus kind of from this bird's eye view. We've been looking at the whole, like the whole story of Scripture and how does, how does Jesus fit into that story? How does he tell the future of that story? How does he fulfill everything in the story of Israel? And we can come at this from several different angles, but it's as long as we stay kind of on the outside, we can't really know Jesus. We have to do what we've just done so far. We need to dig into Scripture and study it and learn and know who Jesus is. We want to observe everything we can about the different connections. That is vital. But there's another step that I want to commend. I want to say if we really want to know Jesus, we're going to have to take another kind of approach. There's a, a professor named J.I. Packer that many of you know him and his books. You've read his books. And uh, he wrote a book once in which he used this image that has forever stayed with me. And this image, he, there's somebody who's in Spain up on a balcony. And it's one of those villages where there's a lot of commotion down on the street. And this person is up on the balcony looking down at the street. And they're just noticing all the traffic going back and forth, the animals, the people, the directions, who's saying what, some vendors here and there. But as long as this person's in the balcony, there's only so much they can really know of the city. To really know this town and this place and these people, the person's going to have to get into the street, and they're going to have to smell the smells and breathe the dust. They're going to have to smell the sweat of the person next to them, and they're going to have to become fellow pilgrims on the road who walk through the village. Then they'll know what it means to be a pilgrim on the way, not from the balcony. So what we've done so far is from the balcony, we're getting this view of what's going on. But here's the invitation today. That is to know Jesus. We need to get inside the story, move from the outside to inside, and that is an act of trust. It's an act in which we say, I want to be inside this story now, God. Jesus, I want to know you, not just in the ways that we can see that you are the fulfillment of all these human longings and, the, and Israel's story, but I want to know you personally in my life. That becomes an act where we say, I'm going to throw myself upon you. I'm going to, I'm going to put my hopes in you, Jesus. I'm going to take my fears to you. I'm going to give my future to you. I'm going to bring my past and all my wounds and hurts and sins. I'm going to bring it all to you. And it's risky because he says we can't really know him by bringing just a little part here or there. We have to throw ourselves upon him. And so if you're in that place maybe where you have done that, you've trusted him, but 
There might be an arena of your life that you need to bring back. Something happening, a relationship. Something going on in your workplace. Something going on in your own soul. Patterns, behaviors, addictions. Maybe there's things that uh, you're seeking answers for and you, you want to ask for God's guidance and discernment. Whatever it is, something that I want to invite you today to come to Jesus, not only with the understanding we have of this big picture, but with an act of our trust of our own lives. Lastly, there might be some people who this is the first time you've ever even considered that. And it's not just uh, a, a renewal of bringing yourself to Jesus to know him, but uh, maybe for the first time, you want to give it a shot. You want to give Jesus, take that risk, take that chance, and offer to him all of who you are. That ultimately is the only way to know him. It's safe to stay on the outside of the story. It's safe to read tons and tons and tons of books. It's safe even to do Bible study over and over and over and over and over and gain a lot of knowledge. But then where it becomes risky is when we say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with myself, my heart, with everything. So that's what I want to invite us to do today. Would you join me in prayer? And I'll just lead us, and you can... You can Join any of the words that I'm praying and make them your own or, or pray your own along the way. But let's offer ourselves up to Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you, you are astounding. We thank you that you have come near to us. We thank you that we can trust you as the one who rules over the cosmos, that we're not afloat in the universe, but we are held in your hands as the King of Kings, as the Cosmic King. We thank you that your way, your law, your logos, your wisdom is the way of life. And we want to get off the balcony and we want to walk with you, Jesus, as pilgrims in that way. And so we offer ourselves up to you. For some of us, we're saying again, God, there's an area of our lives where we have some wounds, we have some sin, we have some broken relationships, we have some pain, we bring that to you. And we trust you with that right now. We offer that to you, Jesus. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and touch every heart that's offering any of themselves to you. And some of us, Jesus, come to you with all of who we are, because we've never done that. We've stayed maybe at a safe distance or, or maybe never really even understand, understood who you are. But today, something is beckoning, something summoning, someone is summoning us. And we respond with our whole selves. And we say, take our lives, all of who we are, into your hands that we may taste of the blessing that you promised to Abraham that would be for all nations. In your name we pray. Amen.